Hello, everyone, and welcome into another edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Tuttle, and today, myself and the rest of the crew are going to be breaking down ASU's 55-3 loss to the number 18 Utah Utes. The Sun Devils fell to 2-7 and 1-5 and and in conference play following its worst game since joining the Pac-12 and having its worst offensive output dating all the way back to 1946. Chris, you and I were there in Salt Lake City. I wasn't expecting things uh, to pan out quite the way they did. ASU just couldn't really dial anything up. Uh, Want to get your thoughts right out of the gate. Uh, just initial takeaways from that one. Ethan, you mean you were not expecting ASU's worst performance since 1946? Gosh, man. <laughs> you, should be, you should be more on the ball than that. Um, no, look, I predicted ASU would lose by four points. So, haha. Um, you know, we got, we got, we all got our butts kicked on this one. Um, it just, we didn't know at the time that Isaiah Glass was also going to decide to bail on the team, uh, late in the week. Um, and we didn't know that Trenton Borgay was going to get knocked out in the first series. Though, those two things that basically rendered the game an impossibility for ASU, but then, um, the defense got just, just just dominated at the point of attack in a way that I did not anticipate. And, I, and of course, nobody thinks that you're going to be just completely unable to move the ball. Uh, well, 83 yards or whatever of total offense. I mean, the second worst in history, um, that's like pretty much unfathomable. I've seen some pretty bad ASU games. I... Um, the ASU was terrible passing the ball against Oregon in 2006, Dirk Cutters last year. Um, 2019, James Daniels at Utah had 25 passing yards. You know, Benjamin rushed for just over 100, though, I think. Um, so that was probably a little bit better performance. That was 136 total yards or something like that. Um, at any rate, uh, historically, pretty much unprecedented in all of our lifetimes. No, Nobody remembers 1946 i don't pretty sure uh no offense if somebody does but <laughs> but but um it was uh, you know at asu you think that you've seen it all you've gone through some bad stretches and whatever but this was we're, we're looking at the worst two-year stretch of asu football since world war ii when they didn't have a team for three three years and you got to go back to like what happened at 1942 and 1946 because they were the back-to-back -back seasons because they didn't have a team in three years in between. They were two and seven. They had two wins each year, two and seven one year, two, seven and two with two ties. The other year, they had two losses that were uh, like 60 points or more, something like that. But since then, ASU lost 1988 to USC 50 to nothing and then lost to Utah. I mean, pardon me, lost to... Uh, Nebraska in 1995, 77 to 28, I guess it was, 49-point loss. But when Utah scored that last touchdown in the final seconds, that made this the worst uh, ever in, in multiple uh, major categories and probably fitting. Uh, but ASU just – it was just one of those games that it was just – it was over from like five, three, four minutes into the game. Let's go ahead and bring in the uh, other guys on the crew here. We've got Jake Seymour on with us. Jake, your thoughts on this game and just being uh, at home watching this one. 
Uh, you know, I can tell you one thing. I'm sure you didn't have as good as food as, as Chris and I did. We had the works in the press box at uh, Rice Eccles, but how do you uh, take that game in? Sorry to hear that. Uh, this sounds like it was uh, not too good, but just kind of this game, I feel like it was like Chris said. Chris said it best. You obviously, ASU lost Eastside Glass. They're going to lose Borgay, um, you know, pretty much on the third play of the game. And it was it, this injuries have been the biggest story of this team all season. We've continued to give updates and to talk about it in all the practice reports, all the podcasts, and in pretty much every piece of content we've done because it's really been so important. And this team has been decimated by them. And when you're consistently losing guys and you have to take a freshman, Sean Naha, who shouldn't even be playing in general, but he's a guy who's been thrown into the fire because they need offensive linemen. He's playing left guard, and then all of a sudden he's asked to be moved uh, to play a different position at left tackle, literally on the airplane going to Salt Lake City. It's a recipe like asking for failure in a lot of ways. Um, and it, it's unfortunate that this is kind of where they're at because obviously you hate to see players get injured and you hate to see you know a guy like Mike Maltus season and career just end off of ACL injury. Um, but it's kind of just where this team's at, and it, it's it's basically putting trying to take tape and try and put something together to make a product that can go out there and play football and have enough bodies to even field the team. And there's been plenty of times this season where we've seen team periods um, where they haven't done one one on ones with uh, the first group versus the uh, first group offense and first group defense. And it's really just kind of been the story. Of this team is that injuries have just riddled them and really thrown them for a loop. No, what about you? Uh, what do you think about Saturday's performance? I hope you really enjoyed that food to sit through that one um, at the stadium, because uh, that's that's probably the 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 one thing you can cling on to from Saturday. Um, That's about it. Yeah. (laughs) Utah does it right, by the way. Uh, Just for everybody out there, Utah had they had barbecue beef, ribs, cream corn, really good dessert. I actually took a photo. I don't even take photos. I just took a photo just so I can show everybody at ASU like the difference between what an ASU media meal is and a Utah media meal or, or other places that we go to. Sorry can, to say that ASU, but really quick, can we get like a power rankings from you, Chris? Or maybe we need something on the the sanctuary um on power for Pac twelve foods from from this is uh, the last yeah. year. Okay, this is great. This is great. This is the last year of us being in the Pac twelve. Of course, I've been to every venue numerous times, right? And what I can tell you is Colorado is the gold standard. Colorado, those people make homemade green chili and all and like enchiladas and stuff like that. And you're like, dude. Somebody's grandma just spent like three days doing this to get ready for the game. Okay. It is stupid good. And then after the game, they got pizzas waiting for you. Okay. With, I mean, I don't even know if I should say this and beer. Okay. It is like the pinnacle. I am the number one thing that I am thrilled about with conference realignment is Colorado is moving with ASU. To the Big 12, okay? Because even if I may only go there every three years, I'm going to get a great meal in the Boulder Press. So that's number one. Now, number two is probably Utah. Utah has really good food options, but there are a couple of competitors, primarily Oregon and 
Stanford. They both do a really good job. Oregon at one point was sort of ridiculous. Like I remember having like shrimp and stuff in their press box like some years ago. Now it's it's kind of, you know, it's come down a little bit, to, you know, from like NFL level experience in the press box to just like good, but still pretty impressive. Stanford also really good. I the 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 bottom of the food chain, right? Is hate to say this, ASU and uh USC. The USC is like a box of uh, like a uh, a sandwich brick that you can throw against the wall. Okay. It's terrible. It's ridiculous. It's useless. Okay. And so I would say those are the uh, Arizona, maybe slightly ahead, but they have a horrible overall press box that sort of offsets it. You could easily find yourself sitting behind a veritable two by four. Uh, Jake's probably, that's probably been Jake's designated seat, honestly, in the past. So, and then like, the Oregon schools, pardon me, Oregon State, Washington State, they're kind of like in the middle tier. Washington used to be pretty good, but has but has gone downhill. They went to the cardboard sandwich slash box thing this last year. We got wind of that and we uh, we ate before. But sorry, I just took this is way more interesting a conversation than the game. People, I'm going to just promote this as the subject of the podcast. And everything else, it was is just like, oh, and there also was a game in ASU lost 55 to three. All right, let's go back to Noah. Chris, that was that was great though. Uh, that's what the people needed. Okay, so I need I still need to talk. Okay. Um, <laughs> um Utah, I mean, Utah had the full menu uh somehow offensively. And uh you know, ASU, ASU couldn't stop them. I didn't really expect ASU to score that much. So that was, you know, less surprising. Obviously, the injuries factor in. But, um, I mean, Utah just ate up yards on the ground all day long. And it wasn't even just their running backs. They had their quarterbacks involved, both Bryson Barnes and Johnson, the the, the backup. They, they combined for, like, I don't know, 125, a buck 25, something like that. And their starting running back got injured on the first play of the second, their first play of the second half, when he scored a touchdown, and they continued to run roughshod uh, over, you know, the Sun Devils. So that was, I think, the most surprising aspect of it. I felt like ASU's defense was going to get tested, um, run defense that is, just because of you know some things on the interior. Deshaun Mallory's great, but they also don't really have that much depth that defensive tackle position. CJ fights a freshman. Their linebackers, you know, as far as, um, you know, beyond Travion Brown, um, still kind of a work in progress as, as a group. So I just felt like that could be something that would be exposed. But I mean, to the extent that it was, it's just it was ridiculous. The the amount of yardage they gave up on the ground couldn't even really predicted anything close to that to, you know, give up 352 yards and 7.2 yards per carry. That's um, Yeah. I don't even really know how else to explain it. Those are the numbers. And that's, you know, at least I, I watched it as I was sitting on the couch as opposed to up upright in, in the press box. Yeah, no, video game numbers. We're going to get into all of that and more here coming up. But let's go ahead and start with the offenses. I'm going to come right back to you. ASU only traveled seven scholarship offensive linemen. It was Sean Na'a who got his first start following Isai Glass leaving the team. 
after taking first team reps in practice on Tuesday and Wednesday. Trenton Borgay went down early on the third offensive play of the game, as we mentioned earlier, and not to mention Joey Ramos was facing one of the best edge rushers in the country. So what did you guys think about how incapable the offense was on Saturday uh, as a whole due to everything I just mentioned? Uh, Noah, like I said, let's go ahead and start with you. It's tough to to really encapsulate, you know, just because Trenton Borgay's injury was such a huge development. Um, I don't know how much better they would have been, but they would have been considerably in, you know, improved shape if he played the entire game uh, or at least <laughs> or even half the game um, just because they were they were so like they didn't have any dimensions to them. They couldn't get anything going. Um you know, the the ground game, obviously, you're going up against a Utah defense that is just they're so stout. Their front, their their front is is just very difficult. Uh they don't budge. And then you, you bring in Jacob Kahn over, who just I don't even know. I don't even know how to do this the right way. But um <laughs> he just he was not good. Uh did not really have any positives or flash any sort of potential that you could, you could really look at and, and have a positive thought about. So, you know, there, there was a lot um, that went wrong and there really wasn't much that went right. I mean, to have someone like Cameron Scadaboo temporarily replace you at quarterback is something that I'm not sure you can come back from. Um, So (laughs) there's just a lot, there's just a lot to digest in terms of, you know, where this offense was at. But again, like, what are you supposed to do in your traveling seven scholarship offensive linemen when you're starting left tackle who took practice reps throughout the week, then, you know, has this thing where he's not on the trip. And so he, then, then he transfers announces his transfer the next week. So you're left with your true freshman having to move from left guard to left tackle and basically, you know, think about, his matchup there against one of the best defensive ends in the country. It's just, it's pretty unfathomable. And I don't know how you could have really expected, you know, them to do much. I already didn't have high expectations with the group that they had. Like, like it would have been difficult even with Trenton, with Isaiah out there. But um, then you add on what had transpired and there's not really anything that you can look at and say like this team underachieved, this team kind of did what was this unit did what was expected uh, of them given the circumstances. And uh, it's really a wash, honestly. I I don't know that you look at this game and you're like, there's a lot of things that we can take away from it. It just feels like such a blur and a lot of uncontrollables just (sighs) happening all at once. Um, in opposition to their ability to actually function on that side of the ball. Jake, let's go ahead and go over to you. Yeah, I think Noah said it best. It, ASU basically became one-dimensional. If you look at what happened, obviously Bourget goes down on the third play. They the were game. no dimensional. And that's a good way to put it. They couldn't run or pass the ball flat out. What, what, what dimension were they? What, what, was, what dimensional? I was just going to say that, that they couldn't even – Passed the ball right because their quarterback went down, so they were forced to run the run the football, and they were getting stopped um, every time when it came with that. So they only had forty three rushing yards uh, on the 
on the game, 40 yards uh, on the and through the air for a total of 83. So when you not able to get anything going offensively, it hinders your ability to do to gain momentum. And of course, on top of that, when you only control the ball for 23 minutes and your oppose your opposition gets 36 minutes of time possession, then your defense is now on the field for longer than well, they should be. So now you're affecting your defensive play. So this whole game really just kind of encapsulated the, the struggle points that this offense has seen this season, especially with everything they've gone through, the four quarterbacks playing down offensive linemen, even DeCarlos Brooks, who provided relief for Scadaboo, um, was out. So Scadaboo was already asked to do more than what he did in his previous two games. And then, of course, Borgay goes down. So now Scadaboo's in his wildcat formation running sets as, as at the quarterback position. So it all kind of culminates into this thing where they couldn't get any movement and they couldn't provide any um, movement to get um, to get points on the board. They obviously had the field goal early in the game, but past that, Utah completely shut them down and it was pretty much a, a no contest right, right from the uh, get-go. And going over to Chris. ASU had no chance once uh, Trenton Borgay got hurt. Um, can't really fault Joey Ramos too much. Shouldn't be playing tackle. He's also playing through injuries, but Jonah Ellis just wiped his hands away on the third offensive play of the game for ASU and Borgay got hit as he threw it. Ankle was, was, was damaged to where he couldn't really play. He tried to come back, played a few plays, had no chance. Uh, Jacob Conover, really nice guy. Uh, three-time state champion at Chandler, one of the one of the most successful high school quarterbacks in Arizona high school history, but he's not uh, capable. No offense of playing successfully in in the in the uh, Pac-12. Um, he completed what like twenty percent of his passes or something like that in the game. Um, a lot of the balls he threw were to not even where I, I think that there there was a receiver, so. Uh, and and uh, a lot of the run plays. So ASU's gotten into these cut splits, and they're running a lot of speed sweep and toss opposite of the the speed sweep. And what's happened is, um, you know, Utah saw this is what ASU was able to do against Washington State, and it stymied this by bringing an extra defender down there on the field side who could just dart, and there wouldn't be a blocker there in time, totally disrupt those plays. Well, Conover is supposed to identify that pre-snap and uh, and make a call that basically uh, adjusts it so that they toss to the running back going opposite of the flow motion. And if you don't do that, they're just literally dead plays. They're going they're going to go backwards most of the time, and that's what happened repeatedly. And um, so yeah, they put in Scadaboo and he was like the quarterback. He like dropped back and threw the ball. I mean, it was and then they got an OPI on that one with Troy O'Meary. It was another sign of how nothing could go right on the day for ASU. And um Utah is so well coached that they're just gonna stop you from the limited number of things that you're able to do because you have all these offensive line injuries, you can't really protect, hold up. For a quarterback to have time, you can't r- establish the run successfully. So then you also have no play action game. So literally, you're so limited, and Utah is just too physical and too good. And it was the perfect storm that led to 
a performance that we may not see again for decades. And that's, uh, yeah. I, by the way, Washington State has to watch, look at that game and feel pretty bad that they uh, ASU was scored 38 points or whatever against them because a well-coached team, that, that should have never happened. And as we already mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, ASU's defense got completely gashed in the rushing department. Utah had a season high in rushing yards. They also had four ball carriers that had 50-plus yards of pop. Granted, one of them came on one play when Nate Johnson housed it late in the game. But why did ASU's defense struggle so badly in this one, guys? No, I want to start with you. First of all, Washington State has its own like has its own set of problems. Pretty sure they just lost to Stanford this past weekend. Um, so there's there's a lot going on there. But with with ASU's defense, I think what Jake mentioned earlier, it, it's definitely something you have to look at. Uh, the time of possession. Uh, was severely lopsided. Utah had 13 more minutes of uh, possession time. Um, that keeps your defense on considerably longer, can tire you out, wear you down, especially when Utah's running the ball uh, the way it's capable. That's that's really the one aspect of that offense that was that was solid, right? Um, this this Utah team was this entered as the second worst scoring offense in the Pac-12. And they were like worse than a hundredth. They were outside the top hundred nationally. So, you know, they, they weren't good. It's not a good offense, but they were able to play off of their rushing attack really well. Uh Bryson Barnes, he, you know, he, he only had like a hundred, I don't know, 160 passing yards, but he he completed the passes he needed to. It was near near 70% completion rate on the day and he had four touchdowns a lot of those came in the red zone and were off of play action and he essentially you know had wide open receivers on on not all of them but some of them and you know all of these things play into the ability to run the ball and actually you know asu having to overcompensate to some extent uh to for that you know bryson barnes is not like he looked like an all-american and he Entered with, I think he had four touchdowns all season, four touchdowns of five interceptions. And, uh, you know, he just had himself a day playing off of playing off of that, that strength of their offense. So I, be, beyond that, uh, I, I think, again, it's um, when you're when you're considering what ASU's defense has done this season, uh, it's one bad, really bad performance. But there are a lot of things that uh really didn't play in their favor. The, again, opposite of an offense that can't do absolutely anything uh, makes it very difficult to hold up. Um, I don't know that give, that means you give up 55 points, but it still means that you're not going to really, uh, you know, be equipped to, you know, keep your team competitive. And I think, you know, at, at the very least, that is something that you can throw in as a caveat, but um just, just to keep in perspective what this defense is capable of, because it's, it's not a bad defense. It's just um, had a really bad day and were, were exploited in you know a way that other teams that they had faced in prior weeks were not really capable of testing them. You know, I mean, I mentioned it on the preview podcast with uh, 
Washington State, Washington, Colorado, all of these different teams that are really pass-heavy. USC, um, pass-heavy offenses that didn't really, uh, you know, nudge that uh, that soft spot in ASU's run defense. And uh, Utah, because of, you know, their quarterback play is not elite or, or even really above average, uh, even that, that, that basically, you know, part of their offense, it was just going up the middle and pounding the rock. So that was, that was their unit. And that just essentially played right into where ASU hasn't necessarily been exposed, but clearly where they have some things to shore up. Jake, let's go over to you for thoughts on this uh, defensive performance. Yeah, I definitely circle time of possession as just kind of one of the metrics to look at here because it's 13 minutes, big difference. The defense is going to get worn down quickly when it comes to the offense not being able to have prolonged drives and generate any momentum for themselves. And at the same time, though, when you look at that, giving up 55 points still shouldn't have equated to to, to that. Um, I was not expecting Utah to completely gash ASU's run defense. Obviously, Utah is a good running team. That's their bread and butter. They're going to run the football. But I was not expecting ASU to kind of give up 352 yards on the ground. Uh, ASU has proved to have a good run defense this season. Uh, they've kind of taken away that really kind of led by the uh, front seven with Mallory. They've been solid up there. But to give up 352 yards uh, on the ground and then kind of combine that with 513 total seems like it's was something that none of us were expecting uh, ASU's defense to do because it's a defense that has held a team like Washington to, without an offensive touchdown. It's kept its offense within games. And, and you know, especially going back to Fresno State beginning of the year, that was a, a game where ASU's offense turned the ball over way too many times. And the defense was able to keep it keep the score within some kind of reach. 29 nothing. of course, that could have been a lot worse uh, if ASU's defense didn't kind of buckle down. But they were able to keep that score with under 30 points. So I think it was kind of um, surprising for a lot of people, I think everybody, to see this defense give up 55 points and really kind of just culminate into one of um, ASU's worst losses um, in almost, you know, since World War II. And Chris, let's go to you. Yeah, I think you guys are making too much about the time of possession in a game like this or really just in general in football. It's not to say that it, it – doesn't matter at all because I'm I, I was talking about this with uh I think Noah recently about the three dynasties of the Pac-12 in this century were uh Chip Kelly at Oregon and of course Pete Carroll at USC and then Harbaugh and David Shaw at Stanford and with both what all three of them had in common was a very strong run game that then forced their own defenses to be able to stop the run. So that's a little bit of a, an aside. And I, so, you know, time possession does matter when you can wear on opponents, I guess, but also if you can score the ball on two, two minutes or less all the time, because the defense is terrible, you're not going to really care that much about time of possession. So a lot, there's a lot of other things that are more important, I think, than time of possession, primarily yards per play, points per possession. Um, and the bottom line, as Jake said, after the time of possession conversation is 
that Utah ran the ball for an extraordinary number of yards in a 500 yard performance. It had 350 yards on the ground. That's it. That's the whole thing. That's the whole ball of wax. Nobody's giving up 350 rushing yards with a mediocre to bad offense and winning a football game against a good team. Never, never going to happen. So um, ASU got blown off the ball at the line of scrimmage defensive line. It's an eye-opening thing. And their linebackers got cut off on blocks that where they were consistently reached by uh, interior offensive linemen of the Utah of, of the Utes. That's it. And they just, boom, they were, they were downhill and they were by the linebackers 10 times in the game, 15 times maybe in the game, but just a crazy number. And, I watched it uh, to try to, you know, understand it better. And I think they, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, some of it might've been calls and and trying, trying to do some things that were more aggressive to try to guess what might be the plays or whatever. And then that didn't work out and they, and that, that contributed, but really, it really, it's just, it kind of snowballed on them and guys were out physical and uh, you, I'm a big believer that you sort of have to throw away the most anomalous games in certain facets. And I think this was one that you just, you know, it was a one-off. Like they played a whole bunch of games. ASU might would be terrible. It might get blown out a number of times, but it really wouldn't be like this or to this degree. Looking ahead, UCLA's defense seems like it could be on par, maybe even better than Utah. So what are the odds ASU wins another game the rest of the season with uh, that tough road game coming up against the Bruins at the Rose Bowl? And then also, you know, Oregon back at home as well as U of A as they're uh, coming on here towards the uh, back half of the season. Uh, Noah, let's go to you. Not looking good, Um, especially if Trent Borgay is not available this week. I just – I feel like, obviously, Oregon, I, I don't know how you would expect them to win that game. Uh, and then Arizona is rolling right now. They're playing really good football, and, you know, things are clicking for them, uh, beating ranked opponents, you know, several weeks in a row. That's I mean, that's not something that – that's at a caliber that ASU is not right now. And um, – I, f- I feel like, you know, here's the thing about UCLA. UCLA, their offense is actually in pretty bad shape also, right? They, they have some quarterback injuries. They haven't really been that great all season, even with those quarterbacks. Um, so I, f- I, I feel like if Trent Borgay can play, it, you know, 80 to 90% healthy, which, I mean, we don't really know, then that would, you know, be a little – you can be a little bit more optimistic about their chances in a close contest with UCLA. Obviously, UCLA's defense, elite. But again, cl- close close margins, you don't really know how that's going to go, right? If, if ASU's offense can be slightly better than, than UCLA's offense, which is plausible if Borgay plays. Um, if Borgay doesn't play uh, this week, I'm pretty confident uh, probably more than 50% confident that they won't win another game. 
Jake, uh, what are your thoughts here on the Sun Devils' chance to get another win? They're very low, um, if kind of existent at all. Uh, this team, as we mentioned, injuries have riddled them, decimated by them. And now you're looking at a situation where you had seven healthy scholarship player uh, offensive linemen available, and your quarterback is day-to-day now. Now, obviously, your status is he's going to play this weekend, is unknown at this time. But you're going to be down to potentially Jacob Conover starting, or maybe, you know, if you do start him, you're looking at Scadaboo getting a lot of wild scat looks. And, you know, ultimately when you don't have a quarterback, it's hard to win football games. So I think when you look at this rest of the season, it's, you know, the wins probably aren't going to be there. They're probably not going to get the, get much uh, movement in the win column, but I, in the first year of, of a head coach and the entire circumstance that surrounded this year with the bull ban and, you know, everything else that really surrounding this with the cloud over the program, I think, you know, for Dillingham and company, it's really about continuing to lay the foundation and continuing to build something um, for next year and spring ball that they can use uh, for success when they actually get the chance to compete for postseason bowl games, uh, conference uh, titles, and set themselves up for success in their first season in the Big 12. Um, obviously, this is their final year here, and you're not going to go out probably the way that ASU would have wanted to, but if it's able to put together some kind of foundation to maybe start uh, its first season in the Big 12 on the right foot, then I think then you look at these last three games and you say, well, okay, ASU didn't win it, but they were able to build something for the next few seasons that was probably as best they could have done in those final three games. Chris, your thoughts on this? Yeah, um, UCLA looks as good as Utah or better uh, defensively uh, might be better, which is kind of crazy. And also very well coached in a lot of this. They present a lot of the same ch- challenges. So there's just no way to predict ASU to, to keep that game very close. I don't, I don't think at this point when, you know, the Borgay thing and the offensive line issues being what they are and opponents being able to you know, identify the, you know, what, what, what ASU is going to try to do. And Oregon is, well, ASU had a great defensive performance against Washington. I think Oregon might be tougher. Bo Nix is a little bit more mobility, um, which allows him to extend plays and do some different things. So I, there's just no way that I'm going to predict ASU to win either of these next two games in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Arizona, that's sort of TBD, but Arizona's ranked now and having its best season in a number of years and probably going to end up in a solid bowl. So, um, and ASU's, you know, headed for one of its worst seasons in history. So, yeah, I would say the odds are that ASU doesn't win another game, uh, more likely than not. All right, guys. Well, thank you for all the analysis and breakdown from this past week's uh, game. That's going to do it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. We'll be back later this week with a premium podcast detailing everything to watch out for on Saturday as the Sun Devils head to Cali to take on UCLA. If you can't stop by for that, maybe you'll see all of us at the Rose Bowl. If you say hi, it'll make our day. But until then, for myself, Chris Cartman, Noah Furtado, and Jake Seymour, we're saying so long. We'll see you next time.